Okay. Hello. Hello. Uh, hi. I guess we should introduce ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, my name is Seraf. I'm a game development student. I study production and uh, graphics. I'm a producer at a startup called Biting Musket, and uh, I'm very passionate about coffee and games. Yeah, I'm unsurprisingly from the same startup. I'm a programmer there, and I also like coffee and games. And that's what the podcast is mainly about. Yeah, we figured that uh, we both got into uh, making our own coffee last year, and uh, we figured it might be, might be fun to try making a podcast and uh, talking about uh, what we like about coffee and uh, what we like about games while having the said coffee. Yeah, self-roasted coffee as well. So. Yeah, so uh, a bit about the podcast. Uh, we are going to try to have the uh, same structure for all of the podcasts. Uh, which is that first we will be talking about coffee, then we will be talking about something related to the games industry, and then we will be talking about some game. And uh, the topic of today will be Finnish coffee, uh, imposter syndrome, and uh, near Automata, which won the uh, Best Video Game Soundtrack Award of 2017. Yeah. So, uh, about today's coffee, uh, we have... Well, you actually roasted it, so do you want to tell? Yeah, I don't, I don't remember the brand name, but it's well, I, I can talk about the roasting, I guess. Uh, so, the I, I bought some raw coffee uh, from a Finnish online store. They barely have any any raw coffee available, so I just bought some of them and I roasted with um, a hot air kind of pistol. Yeah, and. In a metal ball. Yeah, roasted this yesterday and it's been sitting in the fridge. And now it's, what, 5 p.m.? And, yeah. Actually, we made, make the coffee with an aerocrusher, which, I don't know if the listeners know about it, but it's uh, this sort of... Just use the pressure to... Uh... Yeah, I think the, I think the point is that it uses the air pressure. It, uh, it's like sort of like a piston that you put the coffee in and you push it through. A, yeah, so it's basically two tubes and you put the coffee in there and you push it through with the pressure. It's it's very uh, to me. It seems very uh, gadgety, uh, yeah. not in a bad way, but uh, I can definitely tell the difference when it's made between uh, your presso and uh, mine normal. Presso pan because there is no pressure in yeah. there. Definitely, well, it was recommended to me by a friend, and I've really liked it. It brings out the taste from coffee, but the downside of it is that if you have bad quality coffee, it really brings the bad taste of it as well. So something something like a basic Finnish coffee it tastes kind of bitter <laughs> with that. So you really need to put milk in. So yeah, uh, for me. Uh... I usually like pretty dark roasted coffee, but uh, when using your pan, I can immediately tell just from the color of the coffee because when made with espresso, uh, it's very very black, yeah. uh, almost like espresso. So I usually drink my coffee with milk, and uh, it tastes a lot darker compared to what I usually drink. But not not in a bad way. But I definitely agree with you. Finnish coffee might not be the 
best uh, option for this if you want good coffee. Yeah, for sure. Like so- something a bit more high quality, I guess. Not not the cheapest kind, at least. I tried it and it's not good. Yeah, I think uh, one thing that we have been both wondering about is that uh, we are both from Finland, uh, from Kajani currently. Uh, northern part of Finland, yay, frozen wastelands. Uh, Finnish people drink a lot of coffee. Uh, when taking that into accord, it never ceases to surprise me how bad coffee in here is. Like, the basic Finnish coffee consists of you have a coffee pan, you make the coffee, and you let it burn for several hours at a gas station. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of weird, because you, you'd you think that since it's so popular and so big part of the culture, that Finnish people would want to pay attention yeah, to. Yeah, they would care about the taste, at least, but yeah, but really not. <laughs> yeah. Most Finnish people drink very light roasted coffee too, uh, as well. To me, it uh, has always tasted a bit raw, but uh, that might be because I got first really into coffee when I visited Ethiopia, and uh, I drank coffee there every day. And when I came to Finland, I figured that well, might as well keep it up. And I went to a Finnish fast food joint and ordered a coffee, and I took one sip. And I didn't touch coffee for several months afterwards. <laughs> it was so, so, so very awful. It is kind of interesting how you get into coffee. Because I remember it tasting really bad when I first drank Finnish coffee. But then you just kind of... Well, for me it was kind of like, well, everyone else is drinking it. So I have to get used to it. So I started drinking it with milk and sugar. Yeah. And then I just slowly dropped the sugar and the milk. And then I got used to the taste. Now I can't drink uh, normal black coffee anymore from, like, a cafeteria without milk. Yeah. Uh, because it's just so bitter. But <clears throat> Yeah, I think it's a very big part of Finnish culture. Like, in eastern Finland, North Karelia, where I'm from, uh, there's this traditional uh, children's food called pullamössö, which translates to uh, sweet bun mesh. Yeah. Or mash. Uh, basically, you take a sweet bun and uh, you dip it into coffee, and uh, so that it becomes soft. And that's what you feed to small children. I, I was feeding that when I was a child, even though I live in, <laughs> lived in Helsinki. But yeah, yeah. yeah. So basically, uh, the indoctrination to coffee starts at a young age in Finland. <laughs> yeah. And there is, of course, the aspect that. Um, Everybody else is drinking coffee. I think uh, I have drank most of my coffee when I was working as a social worker because everybody else was drinking and everybody else was all making coffee all the time. And you get asked at least twice per day, hey, hey will you take coffee? Yeah, and uh, yeah. I think it's same for our school and startup because... Yeah, well, when you go to a break, it's always you go to the coffee place yeah. so to drink coffee. Yeah. But I think it might be a bit different for us currently because we usually <laughs> bring our own coffee to school. Oh yeah, well. yeah. Not that it's a bad thing. Yeah, well, yeah, and I don't think drinking too much coffee has any health downsides as far as it is known. Like caffeine, at least. Uh, I think have. I think that the biggest downside of drinking too much coffee is uh, addiction, and you get yeah. slowly accustomed to it. So. 
I have this friend who has to drink uh, one pan of coffee before his day gets started. Yeah, well, that's that's <clears throat> definitely you can get like irritated and your head starts, you get a headache and and stuff like that. That's that's definitely when you get addicted to. Yeah, for me, I I don't uh, encourage people to get any kind of addiction, and I try to uh, a bit hold back back a bit with my own caffeine intake. But uh, it's actually been proven in several. Uh, studies that drinking one to two cups per day uh, can prevent seasonal depression, yeah. which is very common in Finland because For it's sure. effing dark in here during winter. Like it's 3 p.m. Uh, and it's already pitch dark. And uh, I think currently the sun starts setting at 2 yeah, p.m. Yeah, well, at, at least up here in Guyana. It's, yeah. it's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, the days are starting to get longer, but uh, I don't know. It's it's nice to have a little boost of energy in the middle of the day when you go to school and it's dark and you come home from school and it's dark. Yeah, yeah. So I, I highly uh, recommend people to try out coffee and good quality coffee too. Uh, a bit about my own equipment. I have a regular presso pan without the air pressure part and uh i would like to have um what's it called in english uh, um basically you grind the coffee beans by hand instead oh, yeah, of yeah. the mechanical yeah i i heard that the current like a ceramic hand grinder is is the best you can have yeah for coffee yeah uh, they shouldn't be that expensive either yeah but it, it's, it's slower yeah, I saw one at the store, and actually, uh, Jako took a picture of it and tagged, yeah. uh, tagged us on it on Twitter. And uh, I think it was ceramic, and it was really pretty. But uh, yeah, I might get it. But currently, I have electric grinder, and uh, I roast my coffee beans so far at the oven. But I feel that it's a bit clumsy, and uh, I I'm currently looking into alternatives. I think it takes a bit longer as well when you use an oven. Yeah, it took compared me, to my way. It took me forty-five minutes to roast my first batch. How long it does it usually take for you to roast? Like not even fifteen minutes. <laughs> okay, <laughs> definitely longer than. Yeah, I'm not sure if you can like roast very high amounts with or like large quantities of coffee with that, but I don't think that's really the problem because uh, the point is to have it as fresh as possible yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah. So. That's a good point. Yeah, I think that's that's it for today's coffee. Uh, let's move on to talking about imposter syndrome. It's a very common uh, uh, common thing to happen in the games industry and in many other industries as well. But uh, I don't think I have ever seen it as bad as with the game development students no. and uh, people who work in there. So basically, imposter syndrome is when you feel like Everybody else around you is so talented, successful, uh, radiating, and meanwhile there's you. And you are like, oh shit, why am I allowed to work with these people? No. When will they discover that I'm actually an imposter and I don't know anything about my trade? And uh, I think I haven't yet met a single person at our school who doesn't have that feeling. Yeah, at least uh, I think everyone has said it at some point. Not all the time, for sure, but yeah, I've had I've had it many times. Yeah, me um, too. And uh, it's 
very weird when somebody is really like smart and talented such as you for example or anybody in our team uh, comes to me and kind of admits to having imposter syndrome and I'm like but why <laughs> you know so much stuff your work is like super exciting and uh, I, yeah. I think definitely one effect of it is the like when when you're learning something um, you sometimes reach a point where you realize how much you don't know yeah. like there you kind of you learn something and then you kind of unveil this new new larger bubble of knowledge and you realize there's so much you don't know and and then you then probably at that point you might get imposter syndrome as well uh when when you're learning and you get that down point of realizing that oh, holy shit there's so much to learn yeah i uh, i recall that somebody has said that uh knowledge is actually this uh, circle and uh when you learn new things the circle grows but so uh, the surface of the circle is all the things you don't know oh. so basically when the circle gets bigger so does the uh surface of the ball oh yeah so so, so yeah, yeah. There, there's more area of stuff you don't, you realize you don't know yeah, Indeed. That's, that's definitely i feel i feel that yeah for me too, uh, I feel very strongly that uh, I have a very strong imposter syndrome. I uh, uh, I look up to a lot of people uh, at our school, at my industry, at my personal life. I I kind of look up to them and figure that I want to be like them and I want to learn from them. And uh, for me, I <clears throat> it kind of feels like I learn very slow. And uh, I guess part of the birth of imposter syndrome is when you work with so many amazingly talented people and you look at them, but you can't look at yourself with the same objectivity. Yeah. And you don't know uh, the hours or the despair they have gone through to yeah, get to yeah. that point. You only see the, their skill right now. You don't see the effort they've put in. Yeah, so basically you see all these amazing, talented people and uh, at the same time you see your own struggle. And say, well, you you draw a lot. So say in art, you might see someone who's really talented. You only see their good work. You don't see the shit pieces they've done because everyone does shit pieces. Yes. So you have you have to do the hundred shit pieces first before you get the one good one. You yeah. don't you don't see those bad ones, but you you get see all see the good ones. That's actually a very good point because uh, I have never thought that uh, of course other people other artists uh draw things that they won't put online, but I only see what they put online yeah. and I'm like, "Oh my god, another beautiful picture." And me- meanwhile, I'm at my uh I have drawn 100 crap pictures, yeah. and just one beautiful one. That's definitely one effect of it yeah so how about in programming uh i i talked recently to one programmer who said that his biggest source of imposter syndrome is actually that he needs to look up things from google uh in order to solve problems so basically he feels that as long as he can't uh provide a perfect answer without google he's a bad programmer I don't really believe in that fully, but I definitely get that sometimes when I'm like, well, I need to Google all these things and then I might look at some, some really talented programmers, like, because there's, there's been coming a lot of, uh, YouTube content where some really talented industry veterans, like, 
program on stream, like fully show live what what they do. It's like people like Jonathan Blow, for example, yeah. who's made Braid and The Witness. So uh, they don't use Google a lot, like barely barely any. But like Jonathan Blow has been programming for twenty years, so it's been a bit different <laughs> yeah. at that point than expecting. But so I definitely get it. Sometimes where I'm like, well, I have to look all these things up, and how can I be any good when I <laughs> when I like to don't know any of this stuff myself? But I think I don't think it's that big of a deal when you like everyone has to look it up at some point. No one can know it before they've looked it up. Many times, I think. Yeah, you need to look something up many times before you learn it. Yeah, actually. yeah, for sure. You don't learn it on the first first try. Yeah, as well. And there's so much to know. You can't remember everything. Yeah, yeah, that too. You can't. I think the remembering part is very good. One thing that I actually uh, would connect to that in the art side would be references. Yeah. I used to think that I'm a bad artist if I use references and uh, it's cheating because I should know these things already or I'm not an artist. And uh, we had a teacher from Belgium who uh, taught us animation. And uh, one student in our class used uh, asked if we have to use references. She just gave them a long stare and said, yes. And nobody ever th- asked that from me again. So I feel that for a programmer, using Google is a lot same than for artists to use reference. It's kind of, uh, I think when you have done it for 20 years, you probably have some kind of uh, mental library for how things work. But uh, until you get to that point, you need to just uh, build on it. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think that's that's definitely one part of it. And and when when I look at say Jonathan Blow, he usually copy pastes a lot of code from his old projects as well. So that's that's kind of he doesn't he doesn't need to look it up from Google because he has so much reference of of his own stuff. So I think it it can depend on that as well. Yeah, and that's actually a bit same because. Uh, he doesn't uh, maybe remember everything. Like if you if we if he would have to write it from scratch, then maybe he would need to look something up. But if he yeah. can copy paste uh, complete parts from all projects, uh, then then I think that it might be the same that he's just using his own old work as Google. Yeah, I th- <laughs> interestingly in programming, I've noticed that when beginners. Google stuff, they usually end up on Stack Overflow or something like that. And when I see like veteran people look up stuff, they usually just uh, open some like PDF document, some long document, or or the like the documentation for maybe Microsoft for their compiler or something, and look yeah. at look at what what the, just just the, just the documentation that's offered. Which yeah. I think it's better, but when but they kind of need to understand how things work to use those. Yeah, I think that. Uh when a beginner ends up in Stack Overflow, uh, could it be that they don't know what their specific problem is, whereas an industry veteran has a better idea and better understanding what exactly seems to be the problem? Yeah, yeah. It probably, and yeah. For sure, veterans know where to look for information as well. Yeah. Uh, Stack Overflow always pops up first on Google, so that's, that's, yeah. And it's not always right as well, so that's the problem for... For sure. Yeah, but on the other hand, you get to be a part of the community, and uh, when you, uh, if you participate in the uh, conversation and make your own posts and own replies, so it's kind of offers a chance for 
peer learning as well when you talk with other people and kind of try to figure out together where is the problem. So it's the rubber duck effect yeah. online. Actually, interestingly, not strictly related to imposter syndrome, but um, one thing I've kind of thought about at some point is when, when there's like people who write, say, programming blogs online mm-hmm. and programming tutorials, yeah. those are usually the people who who don't have that much or who have much time to write those blogs. So they're probably not very successful at programming. The veteran people who are really successful at programming probably don't have time to write those blogs because they are programming all the time. So there's kind of this information gap when for because veteran people don't put as much information out there, I feel like. There are definitely blogs where veteran people have written stuff, but yeah. there's definitely less of it. Yeah, I think that might be true. Uh, I think uh, one part of it might uh, be as well that uh, teaching others is actually a great way to learn. For me, I I uh, I like to hold panels and uh, I like to talk to people about things. For example, uh, in January, I'm I I will be talking about uh, importance of communication in within a game development team. And uh, I can't say it's a subject I know everything about. I know a lot of it, lot about it, but not everything. And uh, I feel that since I will be talking about it, it challenges me to uh, experiment and uh, explore and study it more, which in turn which in turn makes me a better teacher, but also a better person uh, with communication. Yeah. So it might also be their way of getting to the top but it's a shame that uh, when you get to the top you probably have realized something that it would be useful if you could give to other people so veteran people please write more blogs (laughs) (laughs) yeah i guess we ducklings want to read them and learn Uh, when we talk about the games industry one thing that pops up a lot is crunch, and uh, I think we will be talking about crunch separately at some occasion. I hate crunch. I have forbidden all crunch in my team and in the startup. Uh, it has several harmful sides, but I think it's part of imposter syndrome, or at least connected, because when you feel bad about yourself and when you feel insecure about your work, it's easy to start compensating by putting in more hours and uh, companies like EA tend to abuse that fact which I personally hate yeah yeah they gotta abuse passion yeah and uh, I think they abuse both passion and the imposter syndrome because if you are not passionate enough you can go out and uh, go work somewhere else Mm. so when a person has kind of bad self-esteem or feels bad about the work uh, I think it's easier to coax them into putting more hours. And I think it's just cruel and bad, bad manners. Yeah. I think, well, the one thing about crunch is as well that uh, when you're learning and when you're improving, you, you really need to take breaks. For, like your brain needs a break from the, uh, from the work yeah. to learn. So if, you, if you're just working all the time, you're you're not gonna get that break, and you're not gonna really learn as fast. Because well, I, say I play rhythm games. So when I 
I may play a lot and I want to improve, so I play a lot and I might get frustrated and quit for a few days. And when I come back, I'm suddenly a lot better yeah. because my brain kind of learned on its own on the idle time. Yeah. So that's that's definitely the true for programming and art as well, I think. And if you're crunching, you don't really get to do that. Yeah, because your mind is on the work all the time. And yeah, that actually brings us to how to avoid uh, imposter syndrome or what you, what to do if you experience uh, feeling like an imposter. One thing is actually to walk away from your work for a while, do something else completely. Yeah. Because uh, especially in games but maybe somewhere else too it feels that for many people uh their work is so strictly and so directly so completely connected to who they feel they are as people and uh, work does never dictate your worth as yeah. a person yeah that's definitely something to keep in mind yeah so if you don't walk away from work if you don't have anything else in your life then it m- might start to feel like Uh, this is the only thing that defines you. No. So that's also another very important part of taking breaks. I for sure, I for sure had that at some point, where I like, I, I feel feel like it's it's the only thing. Yeah. Uh, it kind of depends as well. Well, I, th- this is maybe a bit different, but sometimes yeah. when you can kind of get into a block situation where, you, well, I, I've had this where I kind of feel like I'm I'm bad at programming, but then I don't do programming. Yeah. Because I don't. I kind of don't feel like it because I feel like I'm bad at it. So yeah. then you just kind of, at that point, you're just gonna have to force yourself to do something and you kind of get over it really fast. But that's why I was. Yeah, it's a vicious cycle. I, yeah. I think I have that with art because sometimes I just feel like, why am why am I even doing this? Because I suck so badly. Yeah. But uh, I think that uh, when that kind of feeling comes, it's important to find a good balance between giving yourself a break And then going back to work, yeah, which is uh, well for most people. I think that ha- taking just weekends off from work is enough. Yeah, and that's that's actually the thing is uh, like giving yourself a break because I've had this and I know many other people have it where they when they have downtime and they have a break they feel guilty about it yes. and they feel guilty because they're not working during that time and you're you're not really getting rest when you're feeling guilty about your rest time. So yeah. you definitely definitely need to find a way to allow yourself to have that break. Yeah, that's very important to keep in mind that when you are having a break, it's not something to feel guilty about. And uh, if you start feeling guilty about it a lot, it's actually one of the first and worst symptoms of a, burned out, a burnout. Yeah. So uh, it's something that is very good to keep in mind. Uh For myself as a producer and as a team leader, personally, I, one thing I try to do to prevent imposter syndrome or burnouts from happening is to try to keep good communication. Communication is one of my favorite subjects, and I think you will notice that <laughs> during these podcasts, but really it helps with so many things. Like uh, if a person can tell you that they are feeling bad about themselves instead of wallowing in in it all alone i think that it's a it becomes a solvable problem and uh, you can offer support to other people yeah and i think that uh, there's still room for improvement uh, at least for myself but i i feel that we have managed to build 
uh, good communication culture within our team because people can uh, come up and talk about things that bother them or when they feel tired or anxious yeah. or kind of like I'm I'm so bad at this. Yeah. And then there's this uh, group hub supporting. <laughs> No, but no, but I think it's important to know that other people are suffering from it as well, no matter how skilled they seem to be. And uh, it's also important to have an environment where you can say that, hey, I'm really tired and feeling really bad about myself. Yeah. And having people who say, it's okay, take a break. Yeah, because you really never know what's going on in someone else's life unless they tell you. And even then they might not be telling everything. Yeah. Someone might seem really okay on the surface and they might be broken inside, like, you never know. Yeah. And also one thing that's, uh, that I try to do and I try to encourage other people to do, not just with our team, but uh, just people in general, uh, is to ask people how they are doing. Yeah. Like, hey, how are you? Are you feeling okay? Because uh, sometimes for some people... At least in my experience, it can be uh, the the only kind of situation where they can say that, hey, actually, I'm not feeling too good. Yeah. So kind of trying to support other people with that kind of feelings. And uh, for personally, how to avoid imposter syndrome. Well, I've already mentioned walking away from the work. And uh, one thing that is a bit difficult is to kind of try to try to have uh, relationships and friends and people who do not work with the industry uh, and interact with them because it brings you out of that bubble yeah. so to speak so what do you do usually when you have imposter syndrome and you notice it and you want to do something about it Hmm, that's actually interesting. I don't really, I don't think I have any any sort of uh, like a routine way of doing doing things. I think I just kind of try to think about it, like realize that well, this is this is just imposter syndrome, and kind of well, usually I say 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 about it to someone, like hey, I'm feeling like this. And then you usually, at that point, realize that well, yeah, it's kind of stupid, and uh, and it's just in your head, most likely. And yeah, I just try try to go on with my day and life. It usually passes mo- most of the time. Yeah, for me, it's basically the same. So I try to walk away from the work, but also to talk to other people. And uh, I don't think external uh, affirmations are the only thing you should be relying on. But sometimes it really just uh, just hearing from somebody else that hey Sarah you are doing a great job no. it's just it's enough to make me feel better for that moment no. so I guess the message for January would be take care of other people and people in your life and ask how they are doing and encourage them take care of yourself as well so. yes don't don't be overcritical of your of yourself and what you do. Yes, please have mercy. Every, every, everyone is just human, and everyone improves in their own person. Yes. So, games. 
we will be talking about games uh, yes. at the end of each podcast. And uh, today's game is the best game of last year, at least for me personally, Near Automata. It was incredible experience, and I'm really jealous of that shirt you have. <laughs> was yeah. it from Games Done Quick? Yeah, I was. It, what a summer summer Games Done Quick, yes, right? Yes. yes, yeah. I bought the Near shirt from Summer Games Done Quick, and it's incredible. So, uh, for me, I first encounter Near Automata is the first game of the series I have played. I happen to. Uh, follow this one person called Shin in Twitter, and uh, they had tweeted about, uh, I think, video about this game I had never seen, and I was like, that looks really pretty. Which game is that? Yeah. And they told me, and I watched the trailer for Near Automata, and I was like, I must have it. I must play this. <laughs> I don't know what this is, but I have to have it. It really does look pretty. I remember the first time I played it, I just I just jumped around and walked around and admired the animation. It's animations and the graphics. It's so so good. Yeah, for me the graphics and especially animations are definitely the thing that pulled me in. Uh, okay, good trailer worked wonders, but when I first opened the game, I was like, "Holy, sh- this looks beautiful," and especially animations of two B. I think that we will be having some spoilers about the game from this point on. So if you haven't played the game yet, so then you might want to uh, <laughs> stop listening yeah, yeah. now. But uh, this far, it's been spoiler-free. But from this point on, I won't promise it will be. And uh, where to start? I think the story is incredible. Well, I guess I can start start please, with. Please, uh, my my for my first gripe about the game because I think the story is definitely it was amazing and you know you know I yeah. sent you some caps lock messages at the end. It was yes. it was definitely yes. definitely good. But I think like I was annoyed at the fact that you had to play it so many times. Like the second playthrough, it was basically just the same and it felt a bit too long. Like it felt stretched. That that's really. I think that's mainly my my biggest complaint with it. Other than that, is was mostly just fun. Yeah. But yeah. Uh. Yeah, for me, uh, I I personally liked uh, having to play it many times. I felt that they could have added a bit more variation for uh, the second run as well yeah. because the hacking mini game. I was playing with the uh, keyboard and mouse which made the hacking minigame really fucking hard. Uh. Because, uh, well, I tried it once with controller, and it was so much easier. Same with all the flight sequences. But uh, I have been actually thinking about this, and I have been wondering, uh, how could you achieve the same depth for the story without having to play it uh, so many times? Yeah, I'm not... like Now that I have some time... I've had some time to think about it. Like, there's definitely an effect about it when you're you're more invested into it because you've spent so much time yeah. on it. But yeah. I'm not sure if I would play it if I would have played it to the end if I didn't know it was good. Yeah. Because there was this like people told me it was good and I had to play it to the end. Yeah. So that's why I played it, and I had some points where I stopped playing it for a while because 
I was frustrated at it and didn't want to play, but I don't know. I don't know if you, if it would have worked, but I remember someone saying that the designer said he actually did put a lot of the enemies there just for content. Yeah. Because people like their games to be long. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I, I like the fact that there are so many endings you can get. And uh, the first ending I got was actually the T ending. The one where you sold your OS chip. Because I oh. was looking at them at the store right when the game starts and right when you go to the bunker. And I was like, oh, I have two OS chips. I can sell one. And I didn't realize that I have two characters. So I sold <sighs> one of the OS chips and suddenly end text. And I was like, oh, Whoa. darn. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think that it's not ideal to have... Uh, the player play through so many times. Like, I can understand the differences between first and the third run, but not so much for the first and second. Yeah. Or the fourth and fifth. Yeah. Like, if you could find some way to include the... I think two playthroughs is not bad. Like, if you could combine somehow the first and second run and uh, three, four, and five... Yeah, it might be better. Um, well, one thing that I think might affect it is the like the I felt the RPG elements were pointless because well I, I don't well mainly because I wanted to get through it fast so yeah. I I skipped a lot of combat so at some point I had to switch from I think I was playing on hard or yeah. something I had to switch to easy because the enemies were so much above my level I just yeah. could it 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 wasn't really hard but it just took so much time yeah. to kill the enemies. So I I had to use a lot of like like what what potions or whatever those like kind of effects like boosts yeah. uh, and switch to easy so I could get through it faster because it was really just bullet sponsor and they basically one hit me at some at like the end yeah uh, for me I I really like the mechanics uh, I'm not very much into bullet hells or hack and slash but. Uh, this game somehow made it very enjoyable for me. I don't know if it's the beautiful animations or if they did something else right, but uh, for the first time I found myself really enjoying the combat. And uh, I was playing on the normal mode, and I found that that was the best mode for me because it wasn't too easy, but uh, it also offered me moments where I would die and die and die and kind of it challenged me to learn to be better but uh, without feeling like this is too hard. Yeah. But I don't think that I could actually finish the game on hard mode because I, I'm not very good at games. <laughs> so... Yeah, it's uh, it might have been a mistake to play it on hard mode the first time because I even died on the tutorial and it doesn't have save points in the tutorial. And <laughs> that was a lot of playtime, like almost an hour. Yeah. And then you have to replay it. Uh, so I kind of... That might have colored my opinions of the game because I was kind of fr- frustrated at it from the start. But yeah, it might be. Uh, uh, uh. Well, the fir- uh, if we talk about the first playthrough, I was a bit surprised about the ending. I I immediately felt that okay, this can't have been everything there was in this game. No. And uh, 
I was right because I, I didn't know about the that you have to play it so many times. But I started the game again, and uh, I was immediately awestruck, like, oh, this is going to be a whole different game. What with the two robots, and uh, them falling over was very frustrating. But I also like that they put the sequence there so that you could get a momentary sneak peek to the life of the machines. Yeah. And uh, then you get to play with nines and uh, it was it, it was really great. But uh two things I did not enjoy at all in the in the second playthrough which are basically the same hacking and twin stick shooter. I'm not very good at those kind of games and it felt like it deviated too much from the play play style of all the other uh all the other endings yeah. all the other routes like there's hack and slash there's aerial combat there's shmup and then there's twin stick shooter yep it felt kind of out of place i think the main problem with hacking for me was a lot of the time it felt like it kind of kind of like broke the the flow of the game yeah exactly like it just kind of st- it stops everything and then you go into this other other mini game and then then yeah. do other stuff there and no uh, it, it it could have done without it honestly uh my feelings exactly like uh there were several points where i felt that okay this is where i like this uh hacking mini game and they were all story related yeah. like the point where you need to fix nines and the, you need to turn off turn on lights and audio receptors yeah. and everything and uh, the point where you go to the you hack into the bunker for information but uh, those are both uh, plot elements and story elements they are not gameplay elements yeah i could have done without uh, the hacking or twin stick as a gameplay element i would have been completely satisfied uh, just with having those as plot elements, kind of, I think it would have made the flow work better. I can, I kind of feel like this game sort of lacks focus in essence because there's there's a lot of stuff. There's RPG in there. There's like twin stick. There's hack and slash. There's all this stuff. They just could have if they just focus on like the hack and slash, uh, for example. I think it yeah. would have been so much better. Yeah, I uh, I agree a bit, but uh, I would have only dropped the. Uh, twin stick away because it seems that people have hated it on pretty on animation. Pretty people have been pretty unified with hating the twin stick aspect. Yeah. And uh, but I got through the second playthrough, and uh, I was actually very happy that it was shorter. I was even happier to discover that the third playthrough was going to be different, and then I realized it's going to be. For a hard and b hard for my feelings <laughs> uh that uh virus spreading scene with two b what had me going like oh fuck oh fuck oh fuck uh, i I did not expect uh the main character to well spoilers die <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> A lot of games don't do that, so yeah, for yeah. sure. Uh, I was equal parts of uh, happy that they took it to that direction, kind of 
made an unexpected turn. But I was also a bit disappointed because it made me feel like the, if you think about it plot-wise, 2B's only point was to act as 9S's uh, personal growth and trigger instead of having been uh, her own character. I felt that's a bit disappointing because that tends to happen with female characters a lot. But uh, I also think that it's... uh, Like, ultimately, I think that it worked out for the best because then you get this uh, tension between A2 and 9s. And, uh, well, first time I uh, arrived to the ending of the third playthrough and you have to choose. You have been playing with 9s. You have been playing with A2. They stand against each other. And you, as the player, have to choose who's going to be <laughs> the main character and who's going to be the villain. And I was like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. I-, I can choose. That was exactly my thing. Like, you can't do this game. Yes, indeed. You can <laughs> do this to me. What the fuck? <laughs> How dare you? Yes, because I felt that neither of them was in the wrong. I, I-, I could completely understand the sides of both. I can't choose which one of them is going to be the villain. Like, excuse yeah. you. I have a lot of feelings about this. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the like true ending you get with the credits and all, with the pods giving, giving the androids another chance, I I really like it. And I like the message that the true ending has, which is kind of like, uh, you have another chance. It doesn't guarantee that things will be different or all right this time, but you have a chance to make them so. Yeah, yeah. Also, I like the the credits part where you like you shot you you like shot the credits, and then it's like you ask for help from other players, and then you can. You can give up your memories for for them, and that, yes. that was kind of that was kind of really nice. Yes, I have to admit that on the first playthrough, I didn't do that because I wanted to get all the endings before that. But then, uh, after I had gotten all the endings, I went straight to that part and uh, kind of wanted to give it up to people who had helped me. Before. Yeah, yeah. So I was a bit selfish, but I did go back and make it right. Yeah. Uh. I think we have been mentioning a lot of negative things, but for me, at least, ultimately, I liked the game very, very, very much. Uh, It has so many aspects. I I personally like games that challenge and flatter intelligence, that make you think. Yeah. For example, the, the first... I think it's the first big boss you fight, the opera boss. Uh, uh, the, The beautiful... Robot, yeah, yeah, the yeah. yeah. I think that the things that get revealed on the second playthrough, he won't look my way. It's very disturbing because it's a machine, and it's very disturbing that uh, the machine has been eating their fellow machines to get more beautiful. And I think that uh, what makes it so disturbing is that it's very human and yeah. very sad. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure how they would have gotten that effect if it wasn't for there being two playthroughs. Like that, yeah. that's that was definitely 
Definitely kind of disturbing. Yeah. And I, I liked it as well, even though I like to criticize it. But, uh, it's easy to find false, bad, yeah. Yeah, false and bad things to say about stuff. Yeah. yeah. But that's actually one point, because uh, I'd like to think that there were... There, I, I, I want to think that there exists a good solution for everything. I think that uh, having multiple playthroughs is not the optimal way of doing this. But, uh, for example, the beautiful boss. Uh, on the first playthrough, you... Well, the machine is the enemy. You defeat it and you get a small picture uh, implying that there is something deeper th- to this. Yeah. But if you would get the whole story right away, it wouldn't have the same impact. Yeah. Just as you said. So, uh, I kind of... I'm still thinking, like, one year after playing the game... I'm still thinking, how could you get the same impact without forcing the player to play the same game through again and again? Yeah. And it's very, I think it's very challenging design-wise. And uh, as long as I don't have a good answer for it, I will probably keep thinking because it's one of those design nuts to crack. Yeah, I think it's it's pretty, pretty true in a sense. Uh, yeah. Well, well, and everything has faults as well. Yeah, there's there's no perfect game. Yeah, actually, I think one industry veteran has said that there's two kinds of games: there's perfect games and those who get shipped. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, When it comes to the machines, I found it very intriguing and very, uh, very amazing how well they have been depicted as imitating humanity and how well humanity is depicted through them. I think Yokotaro has a history of doing things like that, exploring things like uh, religion and uh, things that make us human. But uh, for machines, uh, you get to see that they form their own tribes, which are different. Like You have the forest tribe, which is very... uh, Author, authority, uh, respectful, respectful for authorities, uh, and you have the desert people, who are very uh, interesting. I think family oriented would be one good word as well because you get yeah. to see them, uh, quotation marks, having sex, and yeah. there's this one robot going baby, 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 and. Uh, uh, it kind of feels like they are imitating human behavior, but uh, when you think about how humans learn anything, like they learn how to communicate, how to socialize, uh, babies and children learn through imitation. So yeah. can you really say that it doesn't make them human? And uh, where is the line of humanity? That was one thing I kept thinking about throughout the game, like what are the things that makes make us human? And uh, well, yeah. these are the big questions, I guess. Like, what, yes. what is even consciousness? And yeah, that too. <laughs> that too. What is consciousness? And what are we? And what's the uh, kind of purpose of our lives? And uh, what is real? And yeah. Another interesting thing is the relationship between between two B and nines. Like, in the beginning, 
it becomes kind of obvious that there's something going on with 2B. Uh, on the other hand, she's uh, very dismissive and even cold towards Nines, but she's also shown uh, to be very protective of him. And um, yeah. one one dynamic that comes up a lot in, at the first half of the game is actually when they start having doubts about the machines. Um, because there are several occasions where one of them is having doubts, like uh, like uh, at the dessert, 2B is kind of like, hey, uh, these machines are talking to us, and Nines is quick to shut her down with, yeah. uh, they are just machines, they are just spouting nonsense. And after the beautiful boss... Uh, Nines is the one having troubles, uh, kind of like, uh, yeah, that machine said some pretty weird things. And this time 2B is the the one to shut him down. You said that they are only machines, so now stick with it. Mm. So they are kind of trying to preserve this uh, belief that they are created to protect humanity. Yeah. It's kind of interesting, interesting in a way, I guess. They're they're there to kill the machines, and if they, if they like disco- would discover that they're actually conscious, yeah, how would it make them feel? Feel like well, I guess they can't feel in a sense because yeah. uh, lower wise, or like they shouldn't be able to feel. I guess right. Uh, I think so too. Yeah, but uh, there comes actually another interesting thing because um, apparently the machines have imitated human behavior. Like if you hit me with a sword, I will feel pain. So, oh yeah, and uh, I I think they said that like it's just so it they it hurts. yeah so they're stop. like yeah they're they're imitating it and making so so you would stop hitting them and then they attack you or something yeah but basically uh, if the machine believes that they are feeling pain and then can you really tell them that you're not feeling pain I'll keep hitting you <laughs> if they truly and sincerely believe that I'm in pain it hurts it's bad please stop yeah that's that's definitely an interesting question. Well, it is sort of relevant game. I, well, obviously, because there's an AI is in in a rise and yeah. in development and getting better all the time. So definitely a relevant game to talk about consciousness and and yes. and those sort of themes. Yeah, I think there were a lot of games last or yeah last last year that had. At those sort of teams. Mm. At least I remember Soma. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think we will we will end up having more of those. I think it's been a common theme ever since the first AI started to be developed. Yeah, and I, it's it's an interesting theme, and I like I usually like it. Yeah. It can be done badly, and I I think near did it's very well. And yeah. I, it was written well. I didn't have any moments where I felt like I was, because sometimes you get the feeling like, well, this character was here just to just to die, and yes. I was supposed to feel something, but I never had any any sort of thing like that. But yeah, you know. I felt a lot of things too. Yeah, like uh, one of my biggest feeling moments was you are thinking about how much you'd like to bleep to be, aren't you? <laughs> it's uh, it's one of those. Uh, decisive turning points in the game 
where you realize that uh, Nines is no longer just an android with uh, and there are other things driving him than just the purpose he has been programmed to do. Yeah. He, he feels something for 2B. Whatever it is. Because uh, I think that in the original translation, the censored word could be interpreted as either as fuck or kill. Ah. Uh. You're thinking about how much you'd like to bleep 2B, aren't you? And uh, I think that those both might apply for nines because during the last fight, uh, A2 tells to nines that 2B was killing you all this time and it was hurting her. But you knew that already, didn't you? To which nines replies that you don't know anything about us. I feel that their relationship is very more, uh, much more complex than you get to see at the first glance. Like there's this. Uh, caring and being protective of one another at the bottom of it all. Like, I think it's very clear that they have some kind of uh, positive uh, caring feelings for another. But on the one one hand, Tubi wants to keep Nines uh, uh, a bit distant from her because she knows he, she has to kill him. And on the other hand, Nines knows that Tubi is going to kill him and probably resents her for that. Nah. But uh, I think they are both trying to do what's the best for the other. Nines never brings up the fact that he knows and Tubi uh, tries to keep her distance so that it wouldn't be worse for him. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. We still have a few more minutes, so let me let's talk about the soundtrack. It's amazing. The soundtrack is amazing. I'm going to write a whole post about the soundtrack. But the soundtrack is amazing. It won the award. I mentioned it earlier. And I don't for a moment uh, wonder why is that. Uh, for each song, there's this uh, calm version. And then there's the dyna- dynamic version yeah. of the songs that plays during the battles. And uh, all those songs have been uh, composed and designed so that they fit seamlessly with another. Yeah. I yeah, I have listened to a lot of them even after after I played it. They're they're quite amazing. And yeah, you never notice it in the game when it switch switches between the time I I didn't realize it before. You never notice it when it switches, so it's really seamless. Yeah. And uh, if you listen to the soundtrack uh in the order where there's kind of like for example the city ruins, yeah. uh, the silent and dynamic and battle version, all uh, in that order, you kind of notice that the uh, calm version almost feels like an intro for the actual song. When the dynamic part breaks out, it kind of feels like uh, different parts of the same song. Yeah, And uh, it's a very magnificent experience. Uh, if I were to criticize something about the music usage at the game, it would be that it feels kind of like there are some some songs that don't have a clear place. Atonement, for example. It plays in... Um, I think in most fights that 2B is participating in, and in almost all fights where uh, androids are fighting each other. Yeah. But uh, it also plays in other random points 
which kind of makes you think that uh but wasn't this supposed to be the android fight song uh am i missing something here yeah and it it kind of feels like that the music wasn't composed for those particular moments it was composed beforehand and uh, then the music designers just decided that and we'll use this as here and this as here and uh, i i think that the actual sound design could have been done better but the soundtrack is amazing yeah i think that's <laughs> that's all i can say about the soundtrack if you don't intend to play the game at least listen to the soundtrack yeah play the game definitely i can recommend it yeah i think that's everything we had for today uh thanks for listening next time we'll be talking about what to eat with coffee and some yeah. more roast i think i'll do the roasting for the next time yeah so i'll have something sure. to talk about that but yes thanks for listening and We'll see you on the next month. Till next time.